The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Before we start this episode of Bench with Bubba, a couple things. Rotoballer.com will be covering DFS and season-long over there this season. You don't want to miss out. They're offering a 50% off any premium package, which gets you season-long and DFS. If you use promo code Bubba, you get an extra 10% off over at rotoballer.com. I'll have you for DFS, season-long. Lots of great tools, lots of great stuff over there. So go check them out, rotoballer.com. Also, draft season's winding down. Don't forget about the Fantasy Black Book. You're going to want to go into your draft seat, drafts with the Black Book. It'll get you ready for everything you need. Joe Pisapia's 10th year doing the Baseball Black Book. I covered catchers and relief pitchers. Tons of other great content over there. So go check it out. Amazon, iTunes, become a member of Team Black, the Fantasy Black Book. Last but not least, go leave a rating and review on iTunes. It helps the podcast out a ton. And if you do so, we have Listener League number two. It's filling up. We need a couple more guys to, to finalize that bad boy. So come jump in and uh, give a rating and review and come play some fantasy baseball with the listeners of Bench with Bubba. The winner of the league gets a copy of the 2021 Fantasy Black Book as well as a guest spot on Bench with Bubba. So go check it out, rating review on iTunes. But for now, Pinched with Bubba, episode 257, Bubba and the Batflip 28, Relief Pitcher Preview. everybody to another episode of Bubba on the Bat Flip episode 28. We are wrapping up our positional previews folks. It is happening. It's only like 17 hours later and you have every position here and it's been amazing. The reception's been great. The content's been great. I've had a pleasure talking about him. Find me on Twitter at BDentric and the guy I get to talk to him about. You can find him on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. Toby, how we doing? Bubba, I am doing all right. Did you go back and check to make sure that it actually was 17 hours of of, uh, of preview podcasts that we've done? Is that what we've done to people? No, I was just trying to guessing off the top okay, of my head. Okay. Like, 
I just think, it, you know, we did like seven or eight podcasts, roughly two to two and a half hours. Those just rough numbers. I was going to say, I mean, it sounded right. <laughs> it um, sounded pretty close. <laughs> it sounded pretty close. Um, yeah. I'm doing all right. You know, what's kind of getting me is uh, daylight savings time. You know, sure, like I feel, I feel like kind of wrecked right now. Um, well, and, and I haven't, you know, I'm totally sober. I'm just uh, super <laughs> tired, but I've, I've been given energy by joining the podcast with you. I'm with you though. Well, first off, thank you. And B, um, I, that's how I was like, we had dinner and I'm like, oh man, I am exhausted. I looked at the clock. It's like seven o'clock. And I'm like, I usually get up at five every day. I got up and it's dark until like seven now or seven thirty. It's like, this is. It's just miserable. I got to start my day so I can go record podcasts later. It's just really killing me. But uh, yeah, we'll have to get. It's great when it gets light earlier than it stays light super late. So eventually it'll be awesome. First few weeks kind of suck. But uh, to get you through those people, we have positional previews. And we've got the relief pitchers tonight. We're going to do the top 20 based on NFBC ADP online since March 1st. And then we'll talk about some deeper options, some platoon situations, some listener questions. We'll try to cover it all, but Toby and I were chatting beforehand. It's such an ugly position. There's going to be so many changes. And I, I'll just tell people now, one resource I use a ton, I use Greg Jewett's um, relief pitcher sheets on Google Sheets. And I use the roster resource, not on Fangraphs. So you have to go to rosterresource.com. They have an MLB closer depth chart at the – like right now, it's just a depth chart, but then they'll also update it throughout the season, like a workload and tell you how many innings and who's available. It's great for DFS, but also it gives you an idea on who they're using in key situations. So there's those committees. So uh, if you just go there now, it, it shows you the messes that are everywhere. So just keep that in mind. If you have any further questions, feel free to ask us, but there's a good chance we will not hit on everybody that gets to save this year. I think there's like over 50 people last year. Some ridiculous number got saved last year. So... Yeah. Those are, those, are get, great, those are great resources. And Greg does uh, phenomenal work just in terms of overall just uh, scouting of bullpens and stuff like that. So he's a great follow. Yeah, he's good for the guys that are up and coming, like next man up situations, like really good for that. So keep that in mind. But let's get cracking. The top 20 NFBC, first one off the board, Mr. Josh Hader going to pick 56 right now since March 1st, 19th pitcher off the board, and he is a monster, Toby. What are you seeing in him? Yeah, I mean, it's it's really hard to find a weakness in Hader. Uh, the skills are absolutely incredible. I have, in my valuations, I have him as the best reliever by $5 over Araldis Chapman. So that just gives you a sense of uh, kind of how much better he's been than most guys. The skills are just insane. Like 22% swinging strike rate, 40% K minus walk rate, a sub three ERA despite having... One, giving up 1.78 home runs per nine. You know, I think the only real question with Hader that I have is not necessarily a skills question, right? Because even last year, he got hit very, very hard. I think he had a 21% home run per five ball rate. He was relying, I think, very heavily on his fastball. And so maybe hitters, hitters kind of caught up to a little bit uh, as the year progressed. But even with that 1.78 home runs per nine, you know, still that sub three ERA, it could be even better if he's able to get those under control. The only question for me is whether Corey Kniebel uh, vultures some save once he's back and healthy. Now, obviously, he has to come back. He's got to be healthy. He's got to pitch well. And then, you know, maybe he might encroach a little bit on, on haters' uh, save opportunities. So I don't think it's a huge threat. But going at pick 55, you want to be pretty certain that your guy is going to have access to saves in addition to 
uh, to just having insane skills. So uh, Hayter's a guy, I mean, I, I understand why people are picking him so high. I don't mind him at all. My valuations agree with it, but not necessarily a guy that I'm looking at just because of how how early he's going. Yeah, that that's the hard part with Hayter. And I remember I took him last year in Barf, and I loved him. Like, he was amazing. I'm usually not a you know, go-to early on relief pitcher guy. We'll talk about that kind of stuff later. But um, Hayter's a guy that if you want to lock down some safe situations, it's great. You mentioned a good part with Knievel. It's or Knievel. I, I pronounce it different every time. It's not evil Knievel. I know that much. Um, but the, the thing with Hayter is we've seen it in the past with Council. He'll go situations. He'll pitch him in the seventh and eighth. It's usually the eighth and the ninth or the ninth. Like he's more often than not going to give him the saves, like we saw uh, with 37 saves last year, 2018, 12 saves, and he wasn't the sa- the closer right out the gate. He was more the the, the closer right out the gate last year. And we saw him absolutely dominate, like you said. You know, when you have a strikeout rate well over 47, you have almost 48% last year, almost 47% the year before. Uh, the walk rate dropped from 9.8 to 6.9 this past season, which was very, very strong. A 41% K to walk percentage is just bananas when you really, really think about what he's doing out there on the mound. And um, it, it is the only concern, like you mentioned, it's the only concern I have outside of you know the potential pitching situations is – what are the uh, did did the bouncy ball get him more than others? Like you mentioned, the home runs got him pretty good last year. It's something to keep an eye on. Almost two, it was one point eight home runs per nine in two thousand eighteen one, and in two thousand seventeen point seven six home runs per nine. So he's done a good job of limiting that situation. So it's definitely something to keep an eye on. He's an absolute monster. I don't fault anybody if you want to take him early. Uh, it's just one of those where you're taking about pick 55, like you said, that's middle of round carry the one round four, yeah, middle of the end of round four. And that's going to, you know, you have to really go and get him, and, and, and really roster construction becomes an interesting situation. So no problem with it. He's an absolute monster. He's not my personal number one uh, reliever. Cause I'm just worried about Knievel and then all the trade talk they had in the off season. If they trade him, I, I you would think it would go to a, a team that needs a closer at the same time. He's proven to be like an Andrew Miller type. It's so good for a couple innings somewhere else for a contender. Who knows? But he's my number two. He's not my number one. I'll put it that way. Mm. Um, I'm excited to go. learn who your number one is. We'll get to him in a, a couple. Okay. Um, Ooh, not the next one, though. I know Not that the next sure, one either. No, the next said. one is my number three, I believe. I have to double check. I just did these today, so I should know. Um, update. I just updated them today. Um, but – Pick 71, 23rd pitcher off the board. Second relief pitcher is Kirby Yates coming off an absolutely awesome season last year, Toby. And uh, he's looking to duplicate it again. You know, there's always the risk of San Diego trading him like they did with Brad Hand. But he looks to be pretty much locked in there for a while. I'm pretty sure you're a Kirby Yates guy, but what's your thoughts on him? Yeah, I was a Kirby Yates guy last year. I didn't get a ton of him just because, generally speaking, my approach with closers and relief pitchers is to wait. Um, not, not like, you know, just total basement bargain basement. Is that a thing? Bargain basement hunting. Um, but I like to wait until kind of the second or third tier of closers to get my, to get my guys. So I only had a couple shares last year, but I really did like him uh, heading in uh, to the year. Not surprisingly, you know, he has incredibly strong skills too. 15.6% swinging strike rate last year, a 362 uh, percent K minus walk rate with Yates though. I am a little bit concerned that he's due some regression 
uh, both the K percentage and the walk percentage. He had the highest K percentage of his career last year, despite having a swinging strike rate uh, that was lower for the third straight year. And so there is some diminishing skills, at least when it comes to um, that. Um, and then the walk percentage, you know, the the actual underlying skills were not as good from a control perspective, um, but he had a better walk percentage. So I think there's some regression due there, but obviously it's just a matter of like how much regression. He's still going to be uh, really good, really solid. The other area where I see some regression coming is in the home run to fly ball. Uh, he was at 4.8% last year, and that's compared to 14.2%. Uh, for his career. His velo was also down. And as I mentioned before, three straight years of his swinging strike rate going down. Now, after hearing me say that, you'd think I would say that he's really bad. Uh, He's definitely not bad. I just think that last year was kind of a best case scenario. And so I expect him to come back to earth this year and be a very good closer, but not maybe not uh, in the upper, you know, the top two or three, like he's going right now in ADP. I 100% agree with you. That's that's one reason why I have him as my third reliever uh, in my rankings. Is I, I think he's very very good, but it's basically we saw the like the top percentile you're going to get with him, and that's just that's, that's nothing against Kirby Yates, but you know one three one fit two four two x fit still very very good, but some people are are drafting him for that super low ERA and and everything like that. Um, three twenty five BABIPs not too bad, but. 41 Ks to five walks is really, really good. But you look at Alex Chamberlain's pitch leaderboard, you know, his X Ks was 36%. So 5% drop there. His walks were 5% and X walks 9.8, almost a 5% change there. His mm. Barrel rate was almost a 2% difference in the wrong direction. So he's still very, very good. Definitely achieve the max of what uh, Kirby Yates is going to do. He's going to be on a Padres team. that should be pretty good. Don't get me wrong. You're going to hear that argument a lot. But uh, for me, He's, he's more of a, you know, I got him at number three. I could see people even going farther down he's to, if they feel someone else jumps him. Still very, very good. Just not my top dog, but uh, not a bad closer. And, and you're starting to get into an area where at least I've, I've got Yates on a couple teams just because now you're getting to a point in the draft where you can start kind of – I don't feel sacrificing a ton elsewhere to fill your relievers, um, but I'm also not opposed to waiting. But uh, Yates would probably be one of those I don't mind jumping on if you need to. The third reliever off the board, 25th pitcher, pick 77, my numero uno, is Chapman. Oh, wow, Bubba. It's Eraldis, huh? Well, I don't blame you. I was really interested as I dug in uh, to Chapman a little bit. 14.1% swinging strike rate last year, 25.5 K-minus walk rate. So not necessarily the dominant skills that you saw from Hayter or Yates, Um, but still dominant nonetheless. I think, you know, one of the best situations in baseball uh, with the Yankees, he's obviously assured of keeping that job, and I don't think they're trading him uh, anywhere. What was really intriguing to me is towards the end of the year, his velo spiked back up to 99 miles per hour, and the skills went through the roof for Chapman. I mean, just surged. So over his last 15, 15 games of last year, as the velocity increased, Um, He averaged 99 miles per hour on his fastball during that time. His in-zone contact rate was 69%. So that is 16.5% below league average. Um, So only 7 out of every 10 swings on pitches inside the zone batters even made contact on. His swinging strike rate jumped to 19.2%. 
and his K rate jumped to 46.2%. So a major question is whether he's able to maintain that velocity increase. If he is, then you have to just really love him. Um, and I don't know about number one, but he certainly he certainly feels like a, a pretty sure thing. Um, knock on wood uh, on that one, but he he looks he looks really good. And I came away, uh, I came in being a little doubtful, and I and I'm coming away uh, being a lot more impressed with what he was able to do in the second half of last year. The biggest reason I have him number one over Hater and Yates, and, and him and Hater were really close because Hater's kind of shown the same profile a couple years now. Aroldis Chapman is as consistent as they come from a reliever, which says a lot because relievers are very inconsistent in the world of baseball. And if I'm taking a relief pitcher this early in the draft, I want some consistency because I can take gambles later if that's what we're going with. And, of course, anything can happen. So I can already hear it now. Is, you know, if something bad happens, I'll hear, oh, he wasn't consistent, whatever. <laughs> but he's a, he's had 32 or more saves in every year but one since 2012. That is pretty darn elite when you really break it down uh, in, in the whole situation. He has not had an, an ERA above two. He's had one year with an ERA above 2.54. Shocker, the year he didn't have more than 32 saves. He had 22. So if you just take that whole year out, which I know you can't from a career standpoint. But oh, I can. Ratio, I can. <laughs> you should see what I can do. That's why we're friends. Um, <laughs> there, but his ratios, his strikeout rates, his saves, Everything you want from the closer that you're drafting pretty early in a draft, he has done consistently year after year after year. And, hey, it doesn't hurt that he's on the Yankees. Uh, you mentioned the spike in velo towards the end. It's because they babied him. They flat out said, we know he's been worn down because the workload he had for the last two, three years between the Cubs World Series years, some Yankees runs. Um, it's not that the innings are so much, but when you're throwing 100 over and over again, the bullets start to get uh, a little – Fewer and far between, if, unless you want to really, you know, stress him out. He's going to be th- he's thirty two. He has turned thirty two on February twenty eighth. But the beauty of the Yankees, they're going to win a ton of games. They have a deep bullpen, so we can get an extra day off here or there. But when you're winning over a hundred games, which means I think Baseball HQ says on average every team has forty five percent of their wins are save viable at least. So say they have, let's just say they have fifty five save chances. He's going to get thirty to forty of them. That looks pretty good to me, just writing that in, saying, okay, 35, or 30 to 40 saves, give or take, great ratios, phenomenal strikeout upside, pretty safe thing you're going to get with the relief pitcher. And that's why I have him number one. If you want to shoot for the moon, I get it. Like if you want to go a little riskier, hater, Yates, great. But for me, a role as Chapman is my number one for that consistency factor. All right, fourth reliever off the board, 28th pitcher overall, pick 81. Roberto Osuna. This is an interesting one, Toby. I want to get your thoughts on him. Yeah, so Osuna, I, I actually came away as uh, liking what I saw as well. I mean, 16.9% swinging strike rate last year, 24.1% K-minus walk rate. So not necessarily what you'd expect, but I think similar to uh, Kirby Yates, you know, or, or I guess opposite of Kirby Yates, it seems like he actually underperformed some of uh, the underlying metrics. Um, You know, his velo increased last year um, and his skills also improved as the year progressed. He's got two uh, 20% plus swinging strike rate pitches in his slider and his changeup. And then he's got two fastballs or fast pitches, I guess, uh, in his fast, his four seam and his cutter, which are above a 13% swinging strike rate. So 
those are just, that's just a really nice arsenal to have, especially as a relief pitcher. And I think even more importantly, he's faded his sinker. He used to throw his sinker a lot, which I think suppressed the strikeout rate a little bit. But uh, the Astros have seemed to really cut that out of his game, which I think is very beneficial to him. So I do think he's due some positive regression if he can keep those skills up um, in the strikeout department. The Astros obviously should be pretty good, although their starting pitching is getting a little bit shaky with the Justin Verlander injury. Um, so, I mean, he should be, he should be pretty good. I think if I had to choose between him and Chapman, I'd definitely go with Chapman, you know, only separated by about three picks. And I'd probably go with the guy that we're going to talk to next in ahead of him. But I still think that Osuna is, you know, he's legit. Uh, he's going to be good. Uh, it's just a matter of, you know, um, he, he doesn't have quite the same strikeout track record as some of these guys do. Um, but he, nonetheless, he's still a, an excellent closer. Yeah, Osuna's a great closer. He's actually my number three. I had Yates number four is pulling those up right now. Um, and the difference between Osuna and Yates for me, similar to the uh, Hader versus, versus Chapman, is the consistency factor. He was injured in 2018, still saved 21 games and thir- 38 appearances. Uh, prior to that, uh, three out of the last four years, 36 or more saves on a really good Astros team, which, yes, looks like it's going to take a hit. But uh, the ratios aren't nearly as good as they are with the, the other options we talked about. You know, 2-6-ish, 2-7 ERA. You prefer a little bit uh, better than that from a dominant closer. And I know it's being picky because it's still a phenomenal ERA. But you, you would hope for a little better than that. But the strikeout stuff's good. The walks are kind of an issue. If he's not walking guys, he's elite. When he's walking guys, he gets a little messy, which, you know, it's common sense stuff. But, again, a closer that you're drafting this early, you're trying to avoid that situation. But strikeouts will be there. Saves should be a plenty. Very, very good stuff. Uh, him and Yates, very close together for me. I like this next guy. It's just it's, you never know what happens in Oakland. But uh, we'll see. You got Liam Hendricks, the 30th closer off or 30th pitcher off the board, fifth closer at pick 92. So going at uh, about 11 picks after Roberto Osuna. You like Hendricks over Osuna, huh? Uh, I do. Yeah. And I'm just going to say, Bubba, I would hate to be a closer with you being the manager. Hey, manager, I put up a two six two seven ERA. Is that good <laughs> enough for you? Absolutely not. Bubba. Hey, we're, we're not the Orioles over bring, here. I have high standards. <laughs> bring in a Roldis. Get, get, rid of, get out of here, Roberto. Um, yeah, I like Liam Hendricks a lot. I mean, it's just so tough with relievers, right? Because mm-hmm. I think the problem is, is we see these incredible skills but performance is fairly volatile and a few poor outings over the course of a season can really change, you know, whether a guy is, has an excellent season or whether it's just a good season, or if you're Edwin Diaz, whether it's a God awful season, but with Hendricks, the thing that I liked, I mean, number one, the velo jump very well documented, but he was up two miles per hour last year uh, over 2018. And he actually finished the year, so overall, his ba- his um, average fastball velocity was like mid-96s, so like 96.4, I think, if my memory is serving me correctly. But he finished around 98 over his last 15 games. So just an incredible increase in velocity. 17% swinging strike rate over the full season, 31% K-minus walk rate, 29% swinging strike rate on his slider, 23.5% on his curve, He doesn't throw it a ton, but two incredibly effective pitches to go along with his fastball, which is also incredibly effective. I think Hendricks, the thing that I love about him is just, I think he has a great situation with Oakland. 
They have a terrific defense uh, behind him. And they also play in one of my favorite stadiums to have a pitcher in, um, in Oakland Coliseum. 42.5% K-minus walk rate over his last 15 games. That actually came when he just started throwing his fastball more. Just absolutely dominant. So as long as the below returns, and I don't think he's quite where he was at during spring training. I think he's been like 95, 96 so far. But if he gets back to a similar velocity, then I think um, he has the he has the repertoire and just the situation to be an incredibly effective closer. And I think this is the the part of the draft where I start to think about taking my first closer, possibly. Maybe if Hendricks slips a little bit or a couple of the next guys slip a little bit, um, then I start thinking my clo- think about taking a closer. He's probably the first closer of the ones that we've covered that I'd actually consider taking. I think I have one share of him. Uh, so far this year, I really like the way you say repertoire. That was outstanding. That is phenomenal. That, that was well, good you know, stuff. Baba, you come here for uh, <laughs> fantasy baseball talk. Leave with a incredible uh, French pronunciation. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Um, Hendricks is kind of. He's tricky for me right now because I really love what he does. I love his absolute filth. He's, I still have him ranked fifth on my um, relief pitchers. I'm watching him a lot on the West Coast here late nights, you know, probably recording podcasts with you or something, watching Hendricks come in and, uh, and and do his thing. He's filthy, absolutely filthy. Like you said, the velocity, his off-speed pitches that go with it. He was great. My biggest concern is, A, we've never seen him do this before. Uh, B, when you look at Alex Chamberlain's pitch leaderboard, he outperformed a lot of his metrics, strikeouts, walks, barrels, all some some big changes. But then again, I love the what if uh, DERA. That would have been 176. So it's kind of a weird dynamic. Like his ERA should have been super low, like lower, but then his strikeouts should have been lower, his walks should have been up, and his barrel should have been higher. It's a weird dynamic to look at the whole situation. I love the situation in Oakland, like you said. The uh, only other concern I have, like, I, like if you want to draft him, I'm with you. Like, I think he's going to be very good. Like, he's got 30 save potential. At the same time, it's Oakland. They love to use different relievers. And one thing I'm scared about is the potential of an A.J. Puck coming back and closing if they want to limit his innings again. That's my biggest concern because I've always thought he would have been a great closer as they keep trying to get him right. Um, we saw him out of the pen last year, show some signs, maybe a lefty-righty platoon situation. That's my only concern. I know that's like really, you know, grasp not grasping at straws, but really kind of shooting a, a worst case scenario. That'd be the only thing. Otherwise, roll with Hendricks and have fun. No problem with that at all. Now, what what do you think would happen if AJ Puck and um, and Hater came on at the same time? Would the world explode? Oh man, that would be one for the uh, the '80s hair rock bands. Like they better have <laughs> '80s night at the ballpark. And like warrant better be opening or something because that's oh, going to be a wild, wild show. That's all I know with those two Gun, out there. Guns and roses blaring. Can they just trade Hater to Oakland? Just have them be like locker buddies. Oh man, that could be that. That actually, that is something that the world should just that the world needs that right now, Bubba. Because just think about it. If, if the Brewers get off to a slow start, they were already shopping Hater before. Maybe, God forbid, don't want anything bad to happen to Hendricks, but maybe something does. Come on down, Josh Hader. Just saying. Oh, man. Let's make it happen. Let's do it. Um, The sixth relief relief pitcher off the board, it's flip-flopped overnight, but uh, we'll we'll flip-flop to stay with it. The sixth relief pitcher off the board to pick 98 for Minnesota. This guy has been getting steam like crazy, Toby, like crazy. Taylor Rodgers is all the way up to the sixth reliever off the board 
it wasn't very long ago where he was not even close to the top 10. Uh, he is getting some massive helium. I'm still kind of wishy-washy on him. I'll be. Uh, I'll just get it out of the way now. I have him ranked ninth for me. He's going sixth overall right now. What are you thinking on Taylor Rodgers? Well, Bubba, I don't know. I have him as number seven on my list on the sheet, and I'm not sure I can just – I'm not sure I can handle that type of a – you've got to let me know about that ahead of time. I don't know if I could if – could, We're calling I, it audible. Uh, We're calling it okay, audible. He's number six or he's number seven? Tell me. He's, he's six now. He's six just switched. Now. Okay. Taylor when I made the outline last Taylor Rodgers, number good. six. Taylor Rogers, Two more number drives. Six. Everyone's taking Rodgers. Okay. Taylor Rodgers, number six. Okay. I got this. I got this. So uh, for Rodgers, uh, not to be con- uh, confused with Kenley Jansen. Kenley Jansen. Um, I had yeah, 10.9% swinging strike rate last year, which you might be like, oh man, that's not very good. Taylor Rodgers, you're awful. But his CSW was 35.6%. Now you might be thinking, wow, Toby, that sounds like it's pretty good. It is very good. Who is it better than? It's better than Liam Hendricks at 33.2%. It's better than Edwin Diaz at 33.3%. So a lot. it's better than Kirby Yates at 33.8%. Heck, it's like, I think it's actually better than Nick Anderson uh, from a, from, it is better than Nick Anderson. So Rodgers is effective, not necessarily in just generating swings and misses, but also uh, generating uh, called strikes. A 28.4% K-minus walk rate. Um, is certainly pretty elite. Uh, he skill, improved his skills uh, as the year progressed, mostly by fading his curveball as the year went on and replacing it with his slider. There was actually a huge change um, in the slider versus curve usage. And so unless that is more just like a pitch um, categorization issue, um, that was a, it was a, it was a pretty uh, enormous shift. And the, the slider was generating 5% more swinging strikes. I think it was at like 19% to 14% compared to his curve. So that definitely helped um, as he went. And it also generates a lot more uh, chases. I think it was over 50% in terms of its O swing. So made some adjustment as the season progressed. I can see where people are interested in him. I mean, he did not have a righty lefty split. He actually was better last year um, against uh, righties um, than he was against lefties. Uh, as long as my memory is serving me correctly, I'm pretty sure that that's true. Somebody, somebody fact check me on that. Um, maybe our producers will fact check me on that. I'm just kidding. We don't have producers. I, I, will, I will work on that. Okay, cool. Bubba, you're the, you're the producer. Um, <laughs> and then, um, yeah, so I think there's a lot to like. He's obviously with the Twins. The Twins are going to win a lot of games in that division. They're going to be facing a lot of weak lineups. And so I can see why people are really excited about Rodgers. I'm not sure that I would have him. Uh, this high just because you you always worry with a manager like Rocco Baldelli who mm-hmm. seems to be pretty astute you know even towards the end of last year I want to say they had Romo finish a couple games um, and so they mixed and matched a little bit and especially with the new bullpen rules where a guy's got to face a full inning you could see them doing that a little bit but again really solid skills for Rogers he's been really good for a couple years now um, I have no qualms with people who want to we want to get him at number six versus number seven. Yeah, the big lefty uh, Rogers. It's interesting. Lefties hit 273, 295 Woba against him, one home run in 72 uh, or 16 innings pitched. Righties in 53 innings pitched, seven home runs, only hit 208. So he did very well versus the righties. More home runs, but overall dominated right handed uh, hitting to say the least. It's just 
the biggest thing, and you hit on it at the end there for me, is Rodgers is great. I think he's a really, really good reliever, big-time strikeout stuff. Uh, like you were talking about, we had a strikeout rate of almost you know, a little over 32%, 4% walk rate. Great stuff. Problem is 60 games, 69 innings pitched, 30 saves, because Rocco Baldelli was using him two innings at a time almost every time. Not every time, but almost every time. So when he'd use them, then he'd give him a day or two off every time. So he wasn't even available to close. So that's why guys like uh, May and Romo and others were getting saves in Minnesota, which, A, if he can do that and still get 30 saves, it's pretty darn awesome. Like That's, that's really solid. Uh, you look at his, his pitch leaderboard, uh, it's almost uh, 7.5% barrel rate. His deserved barrel is 2.4. That is sneaky nice. Uh, very good pitcher. I'm just worried about the usage in Minnesota. Maybe they don't win as many games. Then how does that go? Uh, do they keep using them with, like you said, the the three innings, uh, three pitcher, three hitter minimums situation? Do they kind of continue to go two innings with them or inning and a third or whatever, and making things a little more interesting and needing more days off? That's my biggest issue with Taylor Rogers. Other than that, stuff's great. No problem with that at all. All right, now we get to the seventh relief pitcher off the board off the audible here, uh, 33rd pitcher off the board at pick 99, one pick after Taylor Rogers. And that's the big righty out of LA, Kenley Jansen, kind of a polarizing situation. People are either all in or all out on Kenley. Are you all in or all out, Toby? Well, you know, the reason I didn't play football, other than the fact that I'm like five, seven, <laughs> um, and You're I weigh smart to play 100, football. 105 pounds. Uh, is uh, just kidding, people. I, I'm not that. I'm not that tiny. Um, is that is audibles, Bubba? I just could never. I could never handle the audibles. <laughs> like people would call the audibles, and I was ready to run the play. I had it all in my mind. Uh, I really struggled with that. But I, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm all in on Kenley. But he is the closer that I find myself having the most shares of that goes in this range. Um, 15.7% swinging strike rate, certainly down from his heyday, but still very good. I mean, it compares favorably to uh, our buddy Kirby Yates's swinging strike rate. It's actually 0.1% better. Um, his K minus walk rate of 24.3% is better than Roberto or Osuna's. Um, and, you know, he was solid last year, not spectacular. The velo was down a little bit. It's been encouraging this year. His velo is already at or above what he averaged for last year. So that's a really good sign for him. Uh, Folks, there's been like a narrative about the contact that he gave up in 2019. And it was certainly a lot worse than he has, at least from an outcomes perspective, um, in the past. But when you break it down from StatCast data, you know, he was 98th percentile in exit velo in a good way you know, in limiting exit velo. He was 91st percentile in limiting expected WOBA. And he was 99th percentile in limiting hard hit rate. So obviously the bouncy ball had a little bit to do with that. Um, But, you know, I I could see that uh, regressing positively uh, for him this year. I think he's got the best situation in baseball when it comes to saves. I mean, he's on the Dodgers. They obviously believe in him. Dave Roberts will stick with him. I mean, he's a guy where I feel like if Kenley blew four saves in a row, they'd probably have him, you know, throw a couple innings in like middle relief, but they would always want to get him back in that closer role. So I feel like he's incredibly secure in that situation. And I I think if he's if he's in that situation and he pitches halfway decently this year, I think he's gonna get, you know, 35 to 45 saves.
uh, in that bullpen. Um, and so I, I absolutely love uh, getting Kenley here because what I want is saves. Like I, I, the ratios are great. They're excellent. You know, with a position like relief pitcher, there's so much variance though that, you know, maybe outside of a few guys, it's really hard to bank on those ratios. And we've seen last year what can happen, right? Like with Edwin Diaz and, and Blake Trinan, you know, whether it's injuries or whatever can happen, like in small sample sizes, pitchers ratios can be not great, especially from, from an ERA perspective. So I really like Kenley where he's going right now. Again, like he's moving up, all the closures are moving up. So I'm still probably not getting him um, cause I, cause I like him, but just not that much, but I do really believe in a bounce back year for him this year. And I would love to have him on some teams. Yeah, I love Kenley. I think he's just getting a bad rap between uh, some people talking about his, his, you know, contact issues, which there aren't, like you said, or just the health concerns. But 63, 71, 68, 68, that's the innings pitched the last four years. He's pitched uh, 63 or more innings every year except one since 2012. Like, he's been good. He's, he's basically a cheaper oldest Chapman if you just want to play consistency card. He's had 33 or more saves in every year since 2014. He has over – 10K per nines every year since that same time frame. He has 13 or, or 13 or more in all but two seasons. Those are the last two. And he's on a 30.4% K rate last year. He's been very, very good. And remember, I'm talking about a Dodger right now. I'm telling you how good he's been. So um, he's, it's like he's you very, love the Dodgers, Bubba. I'm a fantasy player, Toby. I'm a fantasy player. <laughs> I, uh, I, there's When there's money on the line, you put the heart to the side, and the Dodgers can always lose to the Giants, but uh, he can save the other 100 in so many games. Um but, you know, he, he even under underachieved, if you just look at Alex Chamberlain's pitch leaderboard, I won't go over every stat, but should have struck out more, should have walked less, barrels less, a, be, a better ERA. A lot of things points to an even better season from Jansen. And so I love that consistency thing like I do with Chapman. I'm with you if you kind of re- wait on relievers. I think Jansen's a good one. The next guy we talk about is a guy I end up with a lot of also. But uh, I have no problem with Jansen at all. I think he's a very good pick. I think he's going too late. I think people might see a renaissance, like a, a big bounce back from him, which is crazy to think about because in reality, his stats have been great. But where he's getting drafted, you know, Kenley used to be like one of the first two closers off the board or whatever. Now he's the uh, the seventh closer off the board. Taylor Rogers just passed him in drafts. That says a lot to me. That Taylor Rogers just, passed him in drafts? Yeah, people just aren't valuing him the same way uh, as, as he, they should be. Now we go to the eighth reliever. Can I throw you another audible because things have changed overnight? Uh, Bubba, I was just going to say, you just said <laughs> Taylor Rogers had passed him. On my list, Kenley Jansen is sixth and Taylor <laughs> Rogers is seventh. What's happening? Yes, things have changed overnight. Within 24 hours, guys are passing other guys. Please, please God, don't tell me that Brad Hand is in front of Edwin Diaz. Yes, yes, he is. That's what uh, I just noticed. Brad Hand is going to pick 107. Football while Diaz is going at 108. So overnight, that has flip-flopped as well. So if you're ready for the audible, our eighth reliever off the board is Brad Hand at pick 107. And that is that was hard to say out loud. So Brad Hand. Um, Brad Hand, <laughs> like, overall, through the course of the whole season, uh, he was solid. 13.2% swinging strike rate. So not that elite uh, number that you've seen from a lot of the guys um, before. Uh, but a 27.3% K-minus walk rate, a 35.2% CSW, uh, which is really, really good. But at the end of the last year, he struggled uh, with some arm injuries. His velo dipped, and the skills um, absolutely 
cratered. I mean, they were god awful over the last uh, fifteen games or so. Obviously, he was he was struggling a little bit with um, uh, with with the injury, but um, you know his walk rate was up to ten point three percent over his last fifteen games. Um, his K rate was down at twenty three point five percent. So a massive dip right there. Um, I just like a guy who's had arm injuries towards the end of last year, missed a bunch of time, came back with diminished velocity and couldn't get anybody out. That is the type of performance where call it recency bias, call it whatever it is, but I'm not going to spend this type of a pick on a guy who had that second half of last year. I mean, it's a combination of just the diminished velocity, the the arm injury, and the performance just makes me uh, question a lot of fantasy owners who are are jumping him up. And to be honest with you, like I'm just I'm just kidding when I say that because you know who knows? Like just go and look at a draft board that you had last year and be like, why on earth was I taking that closer mm-hmm. over this closer? Like things change really quickly. But with hand, the arm injury, the decreased velocity concerns me way too much to be getting him right here, especially above Edwin Diaz, um, who I think just from a skills perspective has been uh, absolutely elite. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm out on hand, uh, not to ruin later on in our podcast, but he's my bust out of the top 20. It's hard. It's hard for me on Hammy because I have to like act like I like him. I took him in TGFBI because he fell so far. Ooh. It was almost. It was almost like he had a price and he met it because all my guys I wanted were all gone. Diaz was gone. Jansen was gone. He like I have him twelfth on my my rankings. I'm pretty sure there was at least thirteen or fourteen. Like he fell a long ways, probably for good reasons. But uh, I needed a closer because all the big guys were gone. I tried to wait for others. They all went. Um, three over thirty percent K rate in four straight years. The ratios have been pretty good. Uh, he's got back-to-back years of 32 or more saves, 21 or more in three straight. But, yeah, you look at the leaderboard, he overachieved in a lot of areas. There's some big concerns. Karin checks in town. Uh, he's, he's a very filthy right-handed pitcher, so maybe they kind of let hand relax a little bit and give him some extra rest, uh, a la Chapman in New York, except New York's going to win a lot more games than Cleveland will, so it actually works out. It, it'll be interesting to see how it works. Like, I'm not saying don't draft Brad Hand, but there's other guys I'd rather have, like I said, NFBC has him as the eighth reliever right now. He's my 12th, and that's kind of playing with a murky water as well. So not not in love with Brad Hand, to say the least. But we both love the next guy. 39th pitcher off the board, pick 108. The one, the only. I don't know who's going to have a better bounce-back season. Well, because technically Kinley's not a bounce-back because he was still good. Edwins will be a bounce-back. What do you got on Edwin uh, Diaz? Yeah, I mean, I think Diaz had one of the unluckier seasons um, in recent memory for a relief pitcher. Uh, His expected WOBA from last year at 277 was actually pretty close to his career WOBA of 271. Um, You know, he just wasn't as bad as the numbers would indicate. 17.8% swinging strike rate, which is incredible. 30.8% K minus walk rate. Very good. Uh, he was hurt by a 2.33 home runs per nine and a 26.8% home run per fly ball rate. Um, all in all, though, I just think that he's primed for a bounce back. Um, he, We've seen how good, how exceptional he can be. I mean, remember this time last year, he was going like about 57 picks earlier, if not 
earlier in drafts, you know, like I think he was probably in the forties at some point, if not the high thirties, but just a really, uh, just an incredible arm and a guy where I think you just have to take a look at that home run total, take a look at the home run per fly ball rate and realize that he's due some positive regression in that department this year. I don't think that will repeat. And I think he will be a very good closer for whoever gets him. Yeah, with uh, Edwin Diaz, we, you, you said it earlier and I've said it many times, is one or two bad outings for a reliever does it all. He had four outings, four of his 66 games of three earned runs or more. Everything else was two earned runs or less, which is very, very good. Uh, he gave up 16 of his 20 runs in those four outings. So if we go 62 outings at, um, let's say, 20 runs, that changes things a lot to make things look a little more rosy. That's why he's got a 5.59 ERA and a 3.07 XFIP. The strikeout stuff was still great, 15.3K per nine for a whopping 39% strikeout rate. He's been 39, 44, 32, 40 in his three seasons. Still walking a little too many at 8.7, but I love Diaz. He's my six pitcher, a six relief pitcher off my board. I'm a huge fan of what he offers. Um, should, should have a big, big bounce back here. Like the stuff was great. When you look at his um, – his X stats on baseball savant and other pages, everything that he did in his great years, he pretty much did last year. It's just like three or four bad outings ruined everything. And that's all it was. And it sucks, but that's the relief pitcher world we live in. And I, I don't foresee that happening again this year. I'm a big, big Edwin Diaz fan. I got no problem taking him. I, I've wound up with him in a lot of places. I was hoping to get him instead of Brad hand. Obviously that did not happen. And for that, I am forever unclean. But um, we are there with Edwin Diaz, and I think he's a great play. Like, if you can get Jansen and Diaz combo for not overpaying for, say, Hayter, Yates, or Chapman, I think you're in a great spot in your draft. All right, the 10th relief pitcher off the board, 41st pitcher overall, pick 114. Might be traded sometime this year, but for now, he's with the Blue Jays. That is Ken Giles. What's your thoughts on Giles? Yeah, I mean, skills perspective, Giles was incredible last year. 18.7% swinging strike rate, 31.7% K-minus walk rate. Even his CSW was above Nick Anderson's at 36.3%. The the K skills were obviously terrific. Uh, The walk rate is a little bit of a concern. His uh, walk rate increased, uh, well, it got closer to his career average, I guess you would say. The 2018 walk rate. Uh, was uh, lower than it should have been. But we saw decreases in first pitch strike rate, in zone rate, in uh, O-swing. So all those those, uh, control metrics went down. The other thing that concerns me a little bit is his strand weight rate was very high at 91.3%. For his career, he's at 77.1%. And so... You know, there's there's some signs pointing towards a little bit of regression for him. You know, I think the projections for him in the three in like the low to mid threes are are right on. Like that would be much more what I was expecting based on the control metrics um, that I've seen. But the strikeouts are great. He might get traded, um, as you mentioned. You know, he's out of a contract this year, so he may get traded in the in the mid season. Although I will say that for um, you know, a lot of the closers, especially elite closers, I feel like teams are starting to learn that they actually get more value by giving them a qualifying offer. You know, in the offseason, we saw that with Will Smith and then getting draft pick compensation for them than they, than they might be able to get from just uh, trading him midseason. 
So that's actually a little bit of, of some a point in his direction. Uh, I'm not, he's not somebody that I'm actively targeting. If he falls, I don't have a problem going after him. He has been pretty inconsistent from year to year. In 2016, a 411 ERA, then a 230 ERA, then a 465 ERA, then a 187. So this is this is his year for having a bad ERA. So just know that and know that in addition to that, he's got some regression coming on that strand rate. But overall, a very good pitcher. Yeah, very good pitcher. Is It, it is the AL East, which you never know how it's going to go. But, you know, a near 35% CSW rate is darn good. Um, you know, the, the XFIP is 273 compared to his 187 ERA. So, yes, regression is coming, but still overall, he's been around a, outside. He, he rotates between good and bad years, so hopefully this isn't a bad year. But he battled some injuries last year, which kind of slowed him down. When he's on the uh, on the bump, he's one of the, the better pitchers out there. Very nasty stuff. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of Ken Giles. I think he's a, a cheaper version of Kenley Jansen. Maybe Jansen's more consistent and a better overall pitcher, but the, the production you'll get from him as a closer, I think is very, very similar. And uh, if you want to save some, uh, you know, a couple draft picks, a couple rounds, let's see, Jansen 99, uh, Giles one fit. So about, you know, around 15, 20 picks, give or take will uh, is an interesting way to look at it. If you want to get Giles over Jansen, but uh, I have them right next to each other in my rankings, neck and neck, big fan of both. All right, the 11th reliever off the board, picture 44 at pick 119. He's been climbing a little bit as well, and that's Hector Neris. Anything to like on Hector Neris? I think there's definitely things to like about Neris. Uh, he seems to have the job pretty solidly in uh, Philadelphia, which is nice. I think Joe Girardi is a guy who, at least with the Yankees, uh, stuck with, with his uh, closer. Um, even through some somewhat challenging times, if I remember correct, correctly, with uh, Araldis Chapman. Uh, but 17.6% swinging strike rate, 23.6% K-minus walk rate, 33.7% CSW. So all of that looks great. He threw his splitter 64% of the time. This is like the one thing that concerns me. He threw the, the splitter 64% of the time. He has a really difficult time throwing the pitch in the zone. And if you look at how his walk rate changed as the year progressed, it really increased uh, towards the end of last year as the splitter increased. So I'm not sure whether that is because hitters were uh, becoming uh, better at identifying the splitter or were sitting splitter because he was throwing it so often. But whatever it is, his walk rate, incre- walk rate increased. And I know he does, at least in the past, has had a home run issue um, because he is a fly ball pitcher in a small park. So I'm not a huge fan of him that for that reason. Like the the increase in the walk rate concerns me um, a little bit. The situation is fine. Again, I talk about it all the time. Like there's tons of variance in relief pitcher performance, uh, or at least the vast majority of them. And so um, he's just one that I'm not like feeling that great about right here, as compared to some of the other guys you know that have gone before. So I feel like if I'm going to get a, a relief pitcher or a closer at this point in the draft, I would have gotten one of the guys who went before and wouldn't necessarily be actively uh, targeting Neris. Yeah, Neris is a tough one for me. Like we've seen strides when he does very, very good. You know, he finished the year with a 32.4% K rate, year before 37.4. But he also walks a ton of guys. Um, only a 9% walk rate, but over three walks per nine. So when he's out there, he's, Seems to find himself in some trouble, which is never 
a good thing. Gives up a lot of fly balls because home run per fly ball percentage over the last couple of years is 18.2 last year's 22 the year before in that ballpark. That is not a good thing to do. So uh, he improved off of 2018. 2018 was a very, very bad year between the walks and the home runs. More strikeouts than ever, but really, really struggled there. We saw more of the 2017 Nares. It's just a question of what do we see now because it's super inconsistent. Not something I want to do. If I want inconsistency, I'll keep waiting at the closer's position. Um, he does have the job right now, like you said, which is good because Joe Girardi does like to stick with his routine. At the same time, there are some good relief options there, like Sir Anthony Dominguez showed some very strong signs in years past. He's only 25, and they got some other young arms they could probably mess around with in the bullpen. So, uh, And David Robertson, I believe, is out for until August or so with TJ, so he, he's out of the picture. But Sir Anthony Dominguez is the one I'd be worried about if Naris struggles. But for now, it's his gig. I just I, I, I haven't found myself with Naris. Like he's the 11th pitcher going to NPC, 14th uh, ranked in my situation. So I have no Hector Naris at all. It's uh, going to be hard to find me getting any Hector Naris. The yeah, that, 12, that walk rate yeah. over his last 15 games was close to 12 percent, 11.7 percent. So yeah, to bad. your to your point about his uh, his control metrics. Yeah, it, it, it's ugly. Very, very ugly. Uh, we go to the 50th pitcher off the board, the 12th relief pitcher at pick. I, I'm not going to audible you this time. I'm going to keep it in the Oh, you're going to keep it? Yeah, yeah, at pick 134, but this is, you know, we'll, we'll talk about the next one in a minute. Craig Kimbrell continues to Tom Petty this thing in free fall. It is going pretty crazy. He was way up the boards earlier in the year. He's falling like crazy. Um, what's your takes on Kimbrell? Wow, that was a great Tom Petty reference. I did my best uh, from time to time. Yeah. Uh, 14.8% swinging strike rate for Kimbrell last year, which is solid, but 18.8 K minus walk because his walk rate was so uh, God awful. Only a 29% uh, CSW in three of the last four years, he's had a walk rate above 12 and a half percent, which is scary. So while I'd love to say that his control he struggled with his control last year because of his, you know, because of missing spring training and the abbreviated season. I think it's hard to say that maybe the velocity dip that he experienced last year was as a result of that. And some of the injuries he was experiencing. So if that velocity increases, you know, he'll obviously be in, in, in better shape, but I think he's just a total wild card, right? Like he could be, he's with the Cubs. I think the Cubs are going to, going to stick with him because of the contract you know, unless things go really sideways, but, um, you know, that walk rate is certainly scary and he just hasn't been the same pitcher for a few years now at the same time. Like you could easily see him uh, being a little bit luckier this year and ending up with a perfectly decent season with a ton of saves pitching for, for a Cubs team that, you know, they haven't added any pieces, but they're still a uh, really solid uh, kind of top to bottom. Yeah, he's he's uh he struggled a lot last year. It's the best way I can put it, like you said. And, and it's interesting when you mentioned his walk rate. Yeah, five two three walks per nine last year, four four eight. Had a great two thousand seventeen, but then five oh nine, three three four. He's always been a pretty healthy walk guy. He's been able to get the 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 saves along the way here. It's just because he's been such a dominant strikeout arm. But you know, we've talked about it with the starting pitchers. If they walk a couple of guys and give up a home run, now you're in trouble. It's the guys like. You know, Verlander pre-injury and some others, when you just go with the solo shots, you can work with that because you're not giving the free passes. And that, that's a big, big problem he had last year, plus a ton of hard contact. You look at the pitch leaderboard, a 21.2% barrel rate. That is – I didn't know pitchers did that. 
Like that is a horrific rate. Like I, I obviously realize pitchers do that, but a guy like Craig Kimbrell, twenty one point two percent barrel, deserved barrels thirteen point seven. Hate to break it to folks, that's still not good for your closer. Like thirteen point seven is still very very bad. So um, I am concerned about him. I've been dropping him every time I update my rankings. He goes farther and farther down. I'll probably have to drop him down some more as we dig into him tonight and really open my eyes. I had high hopes that we'd see a bounce back Kimball. I really did. But the more I look at things, it's just there's not a lot here. Like, could he do great? Like you said, sure. Anybody can. He's on a good team. There's going to be opportunity knocking. At the same time, it's it's a scary conundrum, especially when you got the 49th pitcher off the board Technically the 12th reliever, he's 13th on our list, but technically the 12th at pick 132, two picks in front of uh, Kimbrell. This is why I said free-falling. They basically did a three-pick swap overnight. Rossell Iglesias, who you're a big fan of, uh, has moved up ahead of Kimbrell now. And uh, I I told you before the show, I've always been a big Rossell fan. What is it that you like in him now? Yeah, I just think last year he really uh, he pitched well. Fifteen point three percent swinging strike rate, twenty four point four percent K minus walk rate, thirty two point seven percent CSW. So all solid across the board there. Over his last fifteen games, he had a thirty five point three percent K minus walk rate. He was absolutely dominant. Um, one thing he's done, which is really good, is he's faded his sinker. So he's barely throwing his sinker at all. It has a 2.5% swinging strike, right? So that was a good idea. Uh, his changeup is filthy. I think it has like a 29% swinging strike rate. His slider is also very good. So he's got two pitches uh, that he can go to. My only concern with Iglesias is how the Reds were using him last year. You know, Michael Lorenzen got a few saves there towards the end of the season when they had Iglesias pitch in higher leverage situations. So that may be something that we see continue but just from a skills perspective, I think we've seen some really nice uh, growth from Iglesias last year. Um, highest swinging strike rate of his career tied for, I think, 2018. So uh, overall, I think he's really solid going right here. I actually don't have any shares so far this year. I think I, I, think I, I should have done my deeper dive earlier on in the draft season, to be honest with you, because um, I really came away impressed as I dug a little bit deeper on what he was able to do last year. It's okay. Your most important drafts are just around the corner, so you'll be just fine. There you go. Uh, you got them all figured out, and I'm a big Rossiel fan. Three straight years at 28 or more saves. Uh, we talked about it before. The biggest concern that I've always had is how do they utilize them because you've seen them go in as early as the sixth inning at times. Um, more often than not, I'd say just top of my head math, I have no idea. 80% of the time, 85% of the time he's getting the saves, but you mentioned Lorenzen. We saw Amir Garrett. There's always different situations in Cincinnati where – uh, no matter like if it's just a close game period, they bring Ross Hale he's that good. He was once a, a starter, so he's got he can go deep in games. Even though he's uh, even though last year he only threw sixty seven innings and sixty eight uh, games pitched, so they used him in, in different innings, just not as deep. It was weird, weird situation. But three straight years of, of nice strikeout production, and people say you know a four one six ERA last year after the two four and two five and two five three the previous three years. Well, last year his ground ball rate dropped from thirty eight and a half to twenty nine point nine. Prior to that, it was in the 40s, so a massive drop in ground ball rate. If he can uh, get those ground balls uh, back up again, keep the strikeout rate where it is, the ratio should drop just fine. So I'm a big Rossell fan. I'm with you. I think there's a lot to like. The Reds should be an even better team this year. should lead to more safe chances. So, uh, yeah, give me Rossell Iglesias. I, I think there's a lot, a lot to like in that scenario. All right. No more audibles because there's another one that we could do right now. We're gonna oh, stick to man. The Thank you. There's a lot. 
There's a lot of movements here. A lot of movements. 14th guy, Brandon Workman at pick 140. So he dro- he's dropped two and a half picks overnight. Uh, the Boston closer, I'm a big Workman fan. He's going a lot higher than when I started doing drafts. But now there's a lot of skepticism uh, across the industry, it feels like. What's your thoughts on Brandon Workman? Yeah, Bubba, I'm sorry. I'm in, I'm in the uh, skeptical camp. Um, and there goes my I, internet I, connection. Uh, even though I, even though I have a, I have him in a dynasty league, but I mean, the walk rate is just a huge concern for me. 15.7% last year. That's just uh, astronomical. 3% higher than his swinging strike rate at 12.7%. His CSW was really good at 34.5%. He's got that nasty curveball, which he throws a ton and curveballs tend to get a higher percentage of called strikes. Um, than other pitches. So that's one reason why the strikeout rate was really nice, uh, despite the uh, lower swinging strike rate. K-minus walk rate, uh, solid at 20.6%, but not elite. I just think the walks are uh, a huge problem. And obviously, like, you love to see a guy who's not uh, going to give in, um, but he's just going to – he works himself into trouble. He puts men on base, and he got away with a .13 home runs per nine last year which is just insanely low um that's after you know never having one lower than 1.08 last year he also had a babbit that was 209 and i don't care how good you are um that is problematic you want to know what it reminds me a little bit of is jose leclerc from two years ago um you know when he had that incredible season with a very low babbit and the skills supported it Right. Because he had I think he only gave up one barrel for the full for the whole season. So the skills supported it. But, you know, that doesn't mean that it's sustainable. And so I think you're going to see him uh, struggle a little bit this year. Uh, They've got some other options like Matt Barnes in that bullpen. So he's a guy that I'm kind of avoiding right now. I'm not super interested in going after. And I'm sorry, Bubba. No, it's fine because what I was in love with him is when he was like a post 20 reliever off the board, like he was going late, Mm -hmm. late. And now he, like, he's my second or third reliever. Cool. I, I can deal with that. But now where he's going, it's a little frustrating. Like I still I still like him a lot. I have him ranked as my 11th or 12th reliever overall. I, I like what he can do. I agree regression's coming. But as much as we want to talk about the walk rate, which is disastrous, it was 9.6 in 2018, 6.8 in 17, 9.5. So I'd imagine as much as the Ks might regress, the walks regress as well. That's something I, I, I would point towards. Uh, the contact, you know, the, the bat is very valid. You get up like basically zero barrels last year. So there is definite regression coming. It's tough to um, to do what he did, have a 180 RA with a 333 XFIP. But let's just say, you know, he goes out there and the regression comes, but he still gets uh, – I'm trying to find the actual page of information. I always click on the wrong ones. It's right there, there it is. Um, even if, if if things regressed, his what if ERA is two six one, I, I could live with that. Now maybe it's closer to three. Still not bad as my uh, relief pitcher two off the board. I mentioned the CSW rate. He has good stuff. I'd say the biggest concern is you know the walk rate doesn't go down. That's a big concern. The other big big concern is Matt Barnes is looming. Matt Barnes was supposed to be the closer last year. He screwed it up. Workman took it and ran with it. You couldn't really take him out. I wouldn't be shocked if Barnes comes back in there at some point in time. Boston's going to be kind of a mess this year, mixing and matching things. Heck, maybe Workman starts out strong, and they'll try to ship him off as quick as they can because they know regression's coming, and then they'll use Barnes. So there's, there's a lot of ways to look at it. I think he's a, 
a good pick. I still like him. I understand the, the concerns there, but I'll be going that direction. All right, the 15th relief pitcher off the board at pick 139. He has jumped uh, – actually, he's dropped about half a pick overnight is Nick Anderson of Tampa Bay. There's kind of a committee going there, but people are still in love with what they saw last year. Are you in love with what you saw last year? Yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's hard to be not in love with what you saw last year. 19.3% swinging strike rate, 34.9% K-minus walk rate, uh, 35.9% CSW, and he actually got better when he went over to the Rays. His swinging strike rate over his last 15 games was above 25%, at 25.1%. So obviously just an incredible year last year for Anderson. Um, I'm not really targeting him here because I do think it's going to be a committee. I think there are financial incentives since they have him for a number of years uh, remaining. There's some financial incentives to keep that save, uh, the number of saves low. And I think he's just going to be a high leverage guy that they have pitch in the most important time of the game. And so he could end up with, you know, uh, 10 saves or something like that, which would be great. But saves are really important, right? Like that's why we have closers. That's why we're targeting closers in this area is to get saves so we can compete in that category. And so I'm not really targeting Anderson necessarily. And I also think like I know he was absolutely incredible last year. There's no reason to believe that he's going to go and be worse this season. But at the same time, like this is just one year, right? He's one year removed. Um, from a career in the minors he's 29 so he's older Um, you know uh, it's just hard to invest this type of pick in a guy who's not going to get you those saves Um, so and and even if there's a little bit of regression if he's not getting the saves it makes it hard to um, it's it makes it hard to have him in your lineup every single week if you're playing in like a weekly league like an NFBC, if those if those strikeouts decrease at all and he's not getting those saves, then it makes him uh, a borderline startable or just a guy that you rotate in when you don't like your matchups from your starting pitchers. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's just the, the plain and simple of it is he was awesome last year, really, really awesome, especially like when he went over to Tampa Bay. It was even better, like he said. But I, I truly believe that uh, Alvarado and Castillo are going to get theirs. There's going to be a lot of platooning going on there. If he struggles at all, all the great ratios, all that stuff we just talked about, gone. And then there goes some save chances as well. Great pitcher. Um, if you're in a saves and holds league, I think he has much more value than a league like this where we're just talking saves only. Where he's going in the draft, I, 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 I'd rather take guys in his same situation farther down in the uh, the draft. So I'll be passing on Nick Anderson. Like I'd rather go for this next guy who has a bunch of warts of his own, could be traded and whatnot. But I, I like what you said about teams might, you know, do the qualifying offer instead. But the 56th pitcher off the board, 16th relief pitcher at pick 147. Alex Colomay of the White Sox has been one of the more consistent relievers in the last few years. I think he has more saves. I mean, he's like second or third most saves over the last four years, which is a stat that you can take to the bar with you. But uh, what's your thoughts on Alex Colomay? Yeah, I'm a little torn on Colomay. I, I was – Targeting him a little bit earlier on in the season. Um, I mean, like, so what, what, like his worst ERA in his last four years was 324 in 2017. He's never had an ERA in seven seasons in the majors that was under four. 
Um, in the last four years, his highest whip is one, two, you know? So this is a guy who's been incredibly consistent from a ratios perspective. Um, he's been very good. He was incredibly lucky last year with the two, one, five Babbitt. He also had a very low strand rate at 67.6%. So some positive regression there. His skills did improve. Um, as the year progressed, or at least towards the end of last year, even though the outcomes weren't as good, the swinging strike rate was up, uh, K-minus walk rate was up. But last year, he had a 13% swinging strike rate and a 12.8% K-minus walk rate, which is never it's never good when your swinging strike rate is higher than your K-minus walk rate. And a 27.3% CSW, so that's not very good. That's below league average. So a lot of below league average there. At the same time, he's in a, an ideal situation as the established closer for a couple years now, or one year now, I guess, <laughs> uh, since he was traded last year from the Mariners. Um, so he's been, he's the established closer. There's no doubt he has the job uh, going into the season. Um, he has provided solid ratios over the last four seasons. He's made, he's found a way to make it work. And at the same time, like the skills just don't look as good as they do with other pitchers. And so, um, you know, it's probably a situation where I'm not necessarily targeting him here. But if he does fall a little bit, uh, I wouldn't mind having him as my second closer. Um, I definitely don't want him, I think, as my first closer. Um, but I, I, I'm torn. I could go either way on him. So I guess I'm ambivalent, which isn't helpful for fantasy baseball analysis. I, I I love him as a second closer. Like I'm a big fan. Like I know there's there's like I said there's warts. I get it. You know the walk rate can be sketchy at times. The strikeouts aren't always where you want them. So that K to walk rate can be you know less than ideal from a closer. For like most closers, you want that big strikeout guy, good ratios. And that can become a hindrance in those situations. But he's always been a big ground ball guy. Forty five percent or more for four straight years, which is outstanding. Um, it's crazy to have that many ground balls. I guess not striking out that many. His left on base rate is always pretty low for closer standards. Like if he has put a, a solid year together like he did back in 2016, he'd be just absolutely lethal. But for what he can give you as the 16th closer off the board, not killing you ratio-wise, decent strikeouts, 30 or more saves in three of the last four years, on a White Sox team that can get better and better, still plays the Indians. The, who knows? I mean, still plays the Royals. Who knows what the Indians are going to be? The Tigers still stink. Um there's a lot of safe situations coming his direction. Like you said, it's it's kind of like, ew, I don't know. It's not flashy. There's a lot of question marks. If you look at Le- uh, uh, Chamberlain's leaderboard, some things point to positive regression, some point to negative. It's all over the board with what he did. Like they, they, they basically say he should give up more runs and hard contact, but then the, um, but the barrels go down. It's all over the place on him. So it's not just you, Toby, looking at numbers. It's, you know, the brains of Alex Chamberlain and his, his machine – is, is all over the board with Alex Coleman. But one thing he does do is he gets you saves, doesn't crush your ratios, a good relief pitcher too to take off the board, at least in my books. And one thing I'll say too is I know a lot of people are really into Aaron Bummer this yes. year um, because of this contract that he signed. And, and I, I don't know enough about him to like comment on the contract itself, but uh, he doesn't strike me as closer material. And maybe I'm way off base here, but – you know, his, uh, he does not strike out a ton of guys. Uh, over his last 15 games last year, his walk rate was 13.4%. Uh, 
and his strikeout rate was 23.9%, which is actually slightly better than league average, but also slightly better than his three-year average for strikeouts. I mean, I know he generates a lot of poor contact on ground balls. Um, The ERA was solid this past year, Um, but he gives up a ton of contact, doesn't really strike guys out. And the walk rate is an issue. I think if I remember from earlier on in the off season, like I think it's his, what is it? It's, it's his cutter. Yeah. So he has his cutter and his slider um, are the pitches that generate the highest whiffs, but he also can't really throw them in the zone around 30%. The cutter is a little bit better because it gets a more of an O swing, but the slider doesn't even generate, you know, much more than a league average O swing. So I just think that, um, you know, I don't know if he's the guy. I don't know if he's the imminent threat to column A that uh, a lot of people believe. I could be ab- totally wrong on that, but that's just my two cents on that because I know a lot of people have been speculating on him. Uh, last year, he was the closer on waiting, and he got chances at times last year. So that's where all the talk's coming from. Like, that's what people are assuming he's going to do. Will he do it? We'll see. He's a lefty. That gives some people some more conversations. But uh, I think. With this era, like I'm going to reiterate it many times this year, with this new rule of three uh, batter minimums, guys like Bummer, a, a lefty out of the pen, are going to get more saves than people think. So that's my angle to that. Uh, let's go to the 17th relief pitcher off the board. And I'm going to mute my mic. I'm going to walk out of the room, let you have the place to yourself. Um, pick 151 for Hansel Robles. Oh, man, Bubba, he's so hot right now. Uh, so that, hot. Hansel, that Hansel – at so Hansel, hot. so hot, hot. Um, so Hansel Robles was actually is actually super fascinating to me because last year, um, for folks who follow me on Twitter, like I picked him over Ty Buttry as the guy to go after, partially because of just like the where he was pitching in games at the time, and then partially because Buttry was going for like you know a hundred, two hundred dollars in Fab at the time, and Robles was pretty much free. So I got him in a bunch of places for single digit fab bids and he ended up doing well. And he was one of these guys where you're just kind of like, ah, I'm going to ride him while he's getting saves. I don't really actually think he's that good of a pitcher. I mean, for the, over the course of the season, his swinging strike rate was 12.2%. His K minus walk rate was 20.8%. Um, his CSW was 29.2%. So all like slightly better than league average, but not necessarily like dominant relief pitcher. And so then I got to the off season and like, I knew that he pitched really well towards the end of last year. He actually had a perfect game, like where he retired uh, in, um, 27 straight hitters um, in the second half of last year. And I was like, oh yeah, like he was probably like pretty lucky or whatever. I was never impressed. It always seemed like whenever I watched him, at least it always seemed like there were like, you know, there was guys that were about to score and he somehow weaseled his way out of it. But then I took a look at um, his pitch mix change. And what he did is he increased his changeup, the amount he was throwing his changeup, by a crap ton. Like he started throwing his changeup uh, 46.8% of the time over his last 15 games. His swinging strike rate in August was 24.1%. His swinging strike rate in in September was 21.3%. Over, or the, excuse me, those are the swinging strike rate on his changeup. His swinging strike rate over those last 15 games was 17.6%. In-zone contact rate, 80.3%. Very good. K rate, 
33.9%. Elite O-swing, 39.7%. First pitch strike, 67.7%. Walks, walk rate, 5.1%. So a close to a 29% K-minus walk rate there over his last 15 games after he started throwing the changeup as 15% of his pitches. And it's a drastic change. Uh, and for that reason, I love Hansel again. I think he's so hot right now. I would love to have him as my closer. I've been getting him more and more as the offseason has progressed. Um, so I think Hansel is a great buy at where he's going. And I'm fine with him as my closer one. If I have him as my closer two, uh, all the better. Yeah, I'm definitely fine with him as my closer one because he's my 11th closer on my rankings. He's the 18th clo- or 17th closer in an FPC right now. So I'm a big fan of his. Like you mentioned, 24% or more K rate every year he's been in the bigs. Walk rate down to 5.7% last year. Definitely the best of his career, which is outstanding to see here. Um, just did everything so well. He's so hot, like you said. Just amazing what uh, Hansel did for the Angels last year, limiting the big hard contact and uh, keeping the ball in the yard for the most part. Uh, you, you, It's your boy. You nailed him. Don't have a whole lot more to say. And I think the biggest reason I'm a bigger fan of him this year than I am last year is they've already come out. Joe Madden has said, this is my guy. He's my guy going into the year. And Madden's good about sticking with his guns as long as he's as uh, the pitcher's producing. So it's Hansel, Hansel's job right now, and I'm a, a big fan of that situation. All right, the 18th relief pitcher off the board, a pick 154, a bounce-back candidate out of the bullpen, Jose LeClerc. Toby. Yeah, I love Leclerc as well uh, this year. Um, 13.5% swinging strike rate last year, 20.4% K-minus walk rate, 31.5% CSW. So all, you know, better than league average, not necessarily elite. I think the key for him is that he got really unlucky last year. Um, He had a 306 uh, WOBA, but his expected WOBA was 267. uh, The exact same, or actually .001 worse than Kenley Jansen was last year, actually the, the better than Hansel Robles. Um, so, you know, a lot of it was bad luck for Leclerc. I don't like the walk rate. He obviously walks a ton of guys, but I actually think he does a decent job of minimizing contact. Uh, he gets the swinging strikes. He improved as the year um, progressed and was solid as the closer there um, for them towards the end of last season. I think he's got the job. He's already got the contract, so there's no nothing impeding him there. So I really like Leclerc. Leclerc is a guy who's going pretty late in terms of the closer situation overall, but seems to have a pretty clear path to saves and the skills to be able to produce, as we've seen in the past. Totally agree. He's one of the most unlucky pitchers in all all the relievers uh, last season. He, the walk rates get him into a lot of trouble for sure. You know, never a walk rate below eleven percent in his four years. But uh, the unluckiness, the XBAs, the WOBAs, all that good stuff. Very, very unlucky when it comes down to it. Uh, 30% or more K rate in three straight years, 33.4% last year. So really good strikeout stuff. If you could ever minimize the walks, that could be phenomenal. A new ballpark will be nice there in Arlington as well. But uh, what if ERA of 294, uh, the walks, he's still pretty, pretty high. But uh, everything else points to solid stuff, if not equal to stuff for LeClerc. Uh, on the pitch leaderboard. So I, I don't mind him at all as a, a reliever two, probably not my reliever one, but uh, he's just slightly below an Alex Colomay for me. Uh, I do like LeClerc, though. I think where you're getting him in drafts, 
about pick, um, where did I say here? Pick 154. Pretty good value there. It's after round 10. Good spot to uh, to tag team your relief pitchers if you need to go that route. 19th relief pitcher off the board, pick 157, the ginger Archie Bradley. This is an intriguing one, Toby. I'm curious your thoughts here. For years now, I have been telling people not to draft Archie Bradley. We're going on. This will be year number three that I have said Archie Bradley was good for one year. And ever since that year, everybody's been saying how tremendous he is as a reliever. And I just don't see it. Archie Bradley's swinging strike rate last year was 9.6%, which is awful. His K-minus walk rate for a reliever was 16.1%, which is also not very good. His CSW was 29.3%. Uh, which is not very good. You might be saying, oh, well, there's some other guys on the list that have had that. So he was actually worse towards the end of last year. His O swing fell to 25.2%. That's 5% worse than league average. First pitch strike rate was fine at 66%, but his walk rate was 11.3%. CSW fell to 26.9%. His swinging strike rate fell to 9.4%. His in-zone contact rate was 90.4%. That's like having not quite Jose Ramirez, but a really good hitters in zone contact rate against. And his K rate, his K rate was at 25.8%, but none of the swinging strike rate CSW support that. So it doesn't make a ton of sense. He also lost one mile per hour of velocity. He doesn't have any dominant pitches either in his repertoire. Um, Archie Bradley is a guy that every time I see him drafted in drafts that I'm in, I'm always really, really excited I'm not trying to be mean here. He's just like, he's kind of like Rugnet Odor was for a few years there where like every year I was just like, don't get him. Shinsu Chu is better. Shinsu Chu is better. Bradley's been a guy that I've been off of for a long time. Um, obviously, like, I mean, everything isn't isn't terrible um, in Archie Bradley land. Like he's been uh, okay. But I just think there are so many warning signs that he could be awful uh, last year, he he had a 3.18 expected woba, 3.11 woba. I just don't think he had. He, I just don't think he's closer material. And if that if the velocity on the fastball stays down, I think he's going to be in trouble. Um, but you know, go ahead and draft him. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a tough one for me because like he's got the job. I'm not worried about anybody really behind him in Arizona. But dang. You look at everything else, 4.8% 4, 4. barrel rate last year uh, on Chamberlain's leaderboard, deserved barrels of 8.8%. That's quite a jump when you really look at the grand scheme of things. Not an overly powering guy, like you said. You know, his Exwell Bacon was 375. That is not good at all. Um, just really, really sketchy. Not what you want to see out of a closer uh, in, in his situation. So, I'm going to pretty much pass on him, gives up a home run to fly ball over 13%. That's not good either because Chase Field's one of the better pitching ballparks now, and he's still getting a hit around the diamond. So I, I've been passing on Archie Bradley quite a bit. I um, I dropped him down quite a bit as well in my rankings. I have him as a 22nd relief pitcher off my board, and that pretty much means desperation only at that point in time. Like I need a closer because there's none left, but uh, otherwise no Archie Bradley for me. The 20th reliever off the board. This is a fun one. 
Yeah. 68th pitcher overall. Pick 171. Will Smith. Toby, you like Will Smith at all? Oh, much better than Mark Melanson. I'd much rather have him on my barf team than I would uh, I would Mark Melanson. I don't like saves. Saves are not a true indicator of pitcher performance and how good a pitcher is. I would much rather have the guy with better ratios who gets zero saves than I would have the guy who gets a lot of saves with slightly worse ratios. That's all I have to say. Uh, Smith was great last year, 15.5% swinging strike rate, 29.2% K minus walk rate, 34.7% CSW. I mean, he was awesome. He's an awesome reliever, but I think the Braves have been pretty clear that Melanson is the guy, not to say Smith won't get any saves. I think that he's going to get, uh, you know, a handful of saves because I think they'll put him in, in the higher, highest leverage situations, but Melanson was really good with the Braves last year. They had him throwing, his curveball a lot more. He had a 70% ground ball rate over his last 15 games with the Braves, I believe. Um, you know, he was just, uh, he wasn't, he wasn't dominant because that's not who Mark Melanson is, but uh, he was good enough. And so as a result, I think he's going to get access to saves and he's a guy that I like more than Will Smith. If I had to choose between them heads up in a draft, I would choose Mark Melanson unless, I was trying to double tap them and I thought that I could get Will Smith in one round and then get Mark Melanson in the next round and that somebody wouldn't be foolish enough to take Mark Melanson before I drafted him again. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I wouldn't know who would ever do that, but uh, strategies, it was there, it was in play. Definitely a good option, but uh, I, I agree with everything you said. Will Smith, he's the better reliever. He really is. Better strikeout rate, decent walk rate, uh, ratios are phenomenal. He's good versus lefties and righties, like very good versus both sides of the situation. I think he's going to get some of his saves. Like you said, I wouldn't be shocked if he gets double-digit saves this year. It's just a matter of the Braves are really sticking to their guns. They've said it many times now that Mark Melanson's our guy. Now, if Melanson stutters and it's Will Smith's show, but I think they want Will Smith in the high-leverage spots, like you said. I think they want to use him in the seventh and eighth innings when it matters most. They don't want to wait for the ninth and, and ruin an opportunity there. So – Will Smith's going to be very good. Like, I picked him up in Razzlam already because relievers are so valuable with the point system there. Like, I'm all about that. But um, it's uh, it's Melanson's show, which is weird because I think we've realized that, but uh, drafters have not, as Will Smith is still going well ahead of Mark Melanson, actually. Pretty, pretty, pretty good distance ahead of Mark Melanson. So Will Smith's really, really good. Just uh, not quite what you're hoping for there. Yeah, it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, it doesn't. It's very odd. Very, very odd. Will Smith uh, is a great pitcher, but he is. He's phenomenal. He's phenomenal. And uh, I think we're going to start seeing this more and more in baseball with uh, I know, like, like people are going to kill me by the end. It's like they should have a drinking game every time I mention the new pitching rule. But um, we're going to see these guys that they're going to utilize more and more in the most important situations so they can get the biggest bang for their bucks in the, the three batter minimums. So they're going to definitely see that coming. Uh, let's talk about some committees real quick before we kind of narrow down our, our plays that we like this year in the relief pitching core. And we'll kind of go quick through these. We just kind of hit on Melanson and Smith. We want Melanson for the saves. Smith's the better guy. Do you have anything else to mention on that? Because they're technically, technically we both see it as Melanson, but some places still say it's a committee. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, I just think Melanson is a great target uh, for saves where he's going. You know, he's one of the last – uh, kind of verified closers that's going. And, and I think he's wonderful because if you miss, oh, well, you know, yeah, it's a little bit of a valuable pick around 
pick 200, but it's not going to, it's not going to kill your season. And the upside is you get a guy who gets 30 plus saves on, you know, a really good team for the Braves and gives you decent re- ratios because Melanson's only really had one bad season when it comes to his ERA um, and even his, his whip, I want to say, like he's been pretty consistent, um, uh, you know, Alex Colomay-esque, uh, mm-hmm. I guess I could, I could, uh, I could say. Uh, the yeah, whip hasn't been great. The whip hasn't been great. I've got him up on my on here, but he's only has he has one year in the last eight where he had an ERA over three six, and the whip has not been great in recent years. Um, really high BABIPs three seventy four, three sixty five, three forty nine. He's kind of owning that. But one of the things that he one of the changes he made when he went to the Braves was throwing his curveball about forty percent of the time, and that generates a huge. Uh, huge number of uh, poorly hit ground balls for him. So hopefully that'll improve, um, you know, this season with the pitch mix change and velo increase, which he had as the year progressed. Yeah. He got much stronger. He said that one bad year with the giants got hurt and really started to look like more like the Melanson of old, especially when he went over to Atlanta. And that's kind of the reason why they want to keep him there. Like you said, going around pick 200, going after guys like Keon Akella, Joe Jimenez, Giovanni Gallegos, who's not even for sure the closer, but should be. Sean Doolittle, Ian Kennedy. Uh, it, it, it's an interesting group going ahead of a guy like Mark Melanson on a really good Braves team, like you mentioned. Going to get you a handful of saves. Uh, another committee to take a look at is in Tampa Bay. We kind of hinted at earlier. You got Nick Anderson, Diego Castillo, Jose Alvarado. I've kind of given my thoughts. I think Alvarado is going to get a fair shake out of his. He's going really, really late in drafts, like pretty much free. If you look at NFBC's pick 356 right now, uh, you got Diego Castillo going at pick, not Luis Castillo, Diego 322. So both going way cheaper than Nick Anderson. That's why it's hard to take Nick Anderson where he's going. Nick Anderson's a beast, but Castillo, Alvarado are going to get theirs. I think Alvarado uh, and Nick Anderson are your one-two punch. I got no problem grabbing some Alvarado late in drafts. How are you looking at the Tampa Bay situation? Yeah, I think um, I think your analysis is spot on. I think it'll be a closer by committee. I liked Andrew Kittredge a lot uh, in the offseason. He's really good. I mean, you look at the Rays bullpen, and it's just unbelievable, right? You have Nick Anderson. You have Diego Castillo. You have uh, Jose Alvarado. You have Andrew Kittredge. You have Oliver Drake. You have Colin Posh or Pache. Um, you know, that's six guys that have just – are lights out, you know, from a swinging strike perspective and just dominant closers. I don't think there's any reason why they wouldn't leverage that bullpen, you know, in the way that makes it, you know, best for their team to win games. And I think that's going to be Anderson, you know, in big spots. And then I think it's going to be, you know, a little bit less of a focus on who gets that save so much as who gets the matchups that are most beneficial to them. And so I like, I like your idea of going after the lefty just in case there's a couple lefties coming up. Um, and I like Alvarado from a skills perspective better than Castillo. I like a lot of those guys better than Castillo from a skills perspective. So I like that Alvarado shot a lot, shout a lot. And we got to remember Alvarado is one of the top closers off the board last year. He got hurt and he had some serious family issues. Uh, he's a brand new man to me this year. Like people forget the off the field stuff too often. These people deal with real life things that we all deal with. And we just expect them to go play baseball. That's not easy to do. So uh, I, I think Alvarado's – I think there's a big bounce back coming. It's, it's almost too bad Nick Anderson's in the way to let him do his thing, but I think he'll be just fine. Uh, let's go to St. Louis now where 
Andrew Miller's hurt. Jordan Hicks is gone for at least like I think half the season, well, recovering from injury. So you got Giovanni Gallegos is the popular choice, and then it's kind of a mix mash of who knows what. Like there's there's different options. We got I believe it's Halsey or Helsey uh, coming out of the uh, the bullpen as well for St. Louis. For me, with all these injuries, it's just lining up for Giovanni Gallegos. Like uh, I talked to STL Cup of Joe from the Athletic last year. He wrote a piece on Gallegos, and he's a huge Gallegos fan. Uh, he Gallegos had great stuff last year. People kind of thought he'd be the guy. It was just never there for him with Hicks and um, Miller and others. Like Carmart was back there last year. Carmart, they're already putting in the rotation. Ryan Helsey was one of the other options people keep talking about. I think it's Giovanni Gallegos is to lose. Eventually, Andrew Miller will be back. But if I'm drafting, I go Gallegos. And the way people are drafting right now, they're all going Gallegos. Like I said, he's going ahead of Melanson um, at pick uh, – where are we? 182 overall. So he's got good stuff, not 100% his job, but I think it's going to be his job. So I go Gallegos. How do you look at St. Louis? Yeah, I mean, I, in these situations, I generally am somebody who will target – the least expensive guy, the free guy. So I've been getting a lot of Helsley in kind of deeper leagues or just speculating on him as like my 30th pick and, uh, you know, uh, uh, NFEC league, something like that. If he doesn't get the job, then I just get rid of him the first week um, that we have fab. Uh, if he gets the job, then I have the closure for the Cardinals. I just don't like to pay a lot for the uncertainty of whether, Gallegos is going to get saves or not, but if you can get both of them, um, I think that's also a really nice, you know, so if you get Gallegos, then make sure you get Helsley um, towards the end, because that way you kind of assure yourself of um, probably in the vast majority of cases or the or higher highest percentage chance of getting the, the Cardinals reliever. So that's what I'd probably do um, in the best case scenario. And the last one I had down because the other platoon situations are just an absolute disaster like the Giants I can't even tell you where to go there there's some other ones like that are just a mess but um, when it comes to the Nationals I just wanted to talk about it for the listeners right now it's Doolittle and Hudson and I think it was in one of Jeff Zimmerman's mining the news recently they flat out said they're co-closers like if it's a lefty heavy ninth it's Doolittle if it's a righty heavy ninth it's Hudson and they're kind of going to go that way all year so the way I look at it you got Doolittle at pick 180 Hudson at 290 I'll just wait and take Hudson and take my chances of him getting 20-plus saves facing you know, some righties late in the game. The Nats should be good just like last year. Uh, I'll, I'll go Hudson's route. Doodle's very, very good. It's just more of a price point thing for me. Uh, what's your take on the Washington situation? Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's not I, – I don't think I have any shares outside of a dynasty league of either one of them. I mean, Doolittle's velocity decreased last year, and he's always been a fly ball guy, so the – Reduced drag ball really hurt him a lot. Hudson was better, I think, than the skills would indicate. So I don't love either guy, but I agree. In those types of situations, I'm going to go for the right-handed pitcher, and I'm going to go for the guy who's who's cheaper. So I think Hudson is a fine speculation late in drafts. All right, let's talk about our top fade of the season for the top 20 that we talked about tonight. And you kind of hinted at him earlier, but why don't you remind everybody, who is your fade this season? Yeah, so my I'm going to go with two because I forgot about Archie Bradley and I always want to keep him on my fade list. <laughs> you sounded um, very angry when you talked about him. So yes, you really. Well, it. no, I mean I I, I uh, somebody's I when I tweeted about him, somebody said it was like the meanest thing I'd ever said um, about anybody. Um, 
I, you know, I just don't think Bradley is that good. I think the skills indicate that he's not quite that good, but he is a guy who seems to have access to saves. And that means something. But of all the guys that are going, I just think I'd rather get, you know, I'd rather get guy like I'd rather have Mark Melanson straight up than Archie Bradley. So Archie Bradley's definitely on there. And then Brad Hand is the other guy. I think those are the two guys that I'm really steering clear of. You won't see me having them on my team at all this year, I don't think, in in any situation. Yeah, my guy for me is going to be Craig Kimbrell. Like I said, going into this season in like December, when I was writing up the relief pitchers for the Fantasy Black Book, I was intrigued by Kimbrell. Then the more I researched Kimbrell, it has not been intriguing. The walk rates, the just overall production has been going down and down and down, and it really concerns me. So I will be fading all the Craig Kimbrell this year. No Craig Kimbrell for me. All right, your what are your main targets in the top 20? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the two guys that I like the most just because of the cost, the certainty of whether they're going to close or not, and the skills that they possess are Hansel Robles. He's so hot right now. And then Jose Leclerc. I think those are two guys that I don't mind having at all as as closers, um, either closer ones or or closer twos. Uh, I think either one of those guys I'm, I'm happy to get. Yeah, no problem with those two. I, I'm finding myself with more and more Robles. Uh, mine, as uh, I go a little bit earlier, I guess, but I'm all in on Edwin Diaz bounce back. I'm finding my, I'm trying to grab him everywhere I can unless someone else goes ahead of me, which I'm starting to see more and more this draft season. So I'm buying in on Diaz and then Kenley Jansen as well. Those two, like I want one, I'd really like to leave every draft at least one of those two as my RP1 if I could. Uh, if I can get them both, I'm really feeling great, but that's just usually not my draft style. But if I can get at least one of those two, I'm pretty pumped on that situation. All right. Who are three later rounds? So after the top 20 guys targets you're looking at. So um, uh, three guys that I really like um, as late round save targets. So Brad Boxberger, believe it or not. And um, we're there. <laughs> we're there. We're there, Baba. Um, his velocity is up three to four miles per hour from last year. He did some work at driveline. Um, he has he hasn't given up a run or maybe even a hit in seven innings, I think, something like that, so far this spring. So he's been really impressive. I read an article uh, from a, um, a beat writer um, in uh, covering the Marlins about uh, how much the, they'd been impressed with Boxberger. And it had a quote from Mattingly talking about how valuable his experience in the in the back end of games is going to be. So it's not that I would say that Boxberger is going to get the job over Kinsler, um, who has not, I don't think, pitched very well. Um, I think Kinsler, it's still his job uh, to lose. But I think that uh, Boxberger could be just a free possibility as a guy who could take that closer job and run with it. Because on a team like the Marlins, I mean, what would be better than having a guy like Brad Boxberger pitch super well, you have no investment in him whatsoever, and then you can trade him mid-season for some sort of uh, valuable piece of your future. You know, and Kinsler, the same thing could happen for Kinsler, um, but I don't necessarily see think that teams view Kinsler so much as the closer because he's not like, a strikeout guy, he gives up a decent amount of uh, contact. He's a sinker guy. So who knows? It's, you know, again, it's probably Kinsler, but I think Boxberger um, is a really nice speculation, really late in drafts to see what happens coming out of spring training. Uh, I like Wade Davis as well. Everybody might be like, what are you talking about? 
His ADP right now is around like 280, I think. He's going really late in drafts. The Rockies are committed to using him. He was actually pretty good before his uh, injury last year. He injured, I want to say, his oblique in May. And after that, his velocity dipped, um, and he really struggled a lot. And so, again, he's got clear access to saves. He's got a history of being a guy who can get saves. Not that that's necessarily a skill, but it's a position that he's been in. He's got the contract, and so I don't mind getting him late in drafts and hoping that he's like my third closer um, and that hopefully I luck into some additional saves through him. If not, uh, no, no big deal. And then the last guy, because I don't like Brad Hand, is James Karinchak. Um, he, I think, you know, Saris was mentioning he has the best stuff number of like any pitcher in baseball. Uh, he strikes out a crap ton of guys in AAA, had a brief cameo last year um, and struck out a lot of guys as well. Um, I just really think that, you know, with um, uh, Emmanuel Classe being injured, he's kind of the next one up in that bullpen. And I think he could be really, really good. Um, and I don't think hand is long for that job. So those are three guys that I think are worth kind of speculative ads in addition to like Helsley and any other, any other guy who's in a closer by committee competition, you know, that you can get as your 30th, 29th pick, you know, out of 30, I think is worth it because it gives you a spot to churn and it gives you the opportunity to get some free saves. Yeah. If you want to go super late, like some other guys outside the top 20, Ian Kennedy, Joe Jimenez, Jimenez, I'm getting getting both of them in a lot of spots. But if we're going super deep like that, um, Hunter Harvey, I know the news just came out. We'll see how long he lasts that deep. But I was kind of speculating on him before the news came out. I'm kind of bummed the news came out. But really good strikeout stuff. Um, Really heavy fastball, which is outstanding. You know, just in a short time with the the Orioles, a 42% K rate. In AAA last year, a 31% K rate. Always been a pretty good strikeout guy. Walks and home runs can be an issue from time to time, but was uh, pretty darn good with the Orioles down the stretch last year. One four two ERA, two five eight xFIP. Uh, as a guy, I can see them. I've already said is kind of their guy. He could run into a, a pretty nice workload for Baltimore this year. He's going to pick three twenty five. I mentioned Jose Alvarado at three fifty six. I really like taking a stab on him later. And then you know I, I'm not going to pretend that I know the Giants situation because it's a disaster. And he's hurt right now, but Tony Watson, I pick 304. If um, they're saying it's a minor injury, if he's fine, I, he's the best closer option for them. Will he get the most saves? Is another story. But a nice lefty arm out of that bullpen could be like the Will Smith for them this year if they don't just utilize him in the top situations. But could be a nice saves guy. So Watson at 304 would be a target of mine. All right, listener questions. The part everyone has been waiting for. Let's get it cracking here. We will start with, uh, oh, hey, Rob Silver. Which closers do you plan on taking and what round do you plan on taking them? Just kidding. Funny <laughs> joke. Rob wanted to know because, like you said, Toby, I think he's drafting with you next Saturday. Yeah, so I got I got my uh, first main event is coming up on Saturday, um, which is really exciting. I mean, I'm every this will be my second year doing the main event, and it's always just uh, – yeah, I mean, it's just incredibly exciting, but um, I got my league, and so Rob's in my league, so former uh, overall winner of the main event. Dave Potts is in my league, another former winner of the uh, overall uh, in the main event. Uh, the winner from last year's uh, Diamond, uh, Derek Pearson, is also in there, as is uh, Emmett Ruland, who had two teams in the top 15 
of the main event last year. And then Bradley Libros, who um, is a, um, a really good player. He beat me last year uh, in a league. Um, I think I finished fifth and he finished third. Um, and he also finished second in the overall uh, two years ago, um, is also in that league. And that's, you know, I haven't, I don't know everybody else as well, but I know a lot of the names and it's a lot of really guys who play in the main a lot. So I'm just really excited to be in a league with uh, such good competition. And I pretty much just gave away all my closer targets to Rob already. If you listen to this podcast, so enjoy that Rob steal my closers. Uh, um, I'll just, uh, I'll just grab Mark, Mark Melanson later on. There you go. Just give him a lance in and tell him what's up. Um, Dave Petros, yellow, frequent listener and awesome listener of the show. He asked, do you think Jimmy Cordero could eventually become the closer of the White Sox? Cole May is shaky. Yeah, Cole May can be shaky. I don't know a ton about Jimmy Cordero. I do know that, you know, Bummer is in waiting. If you want another righty, Steve Sishik, Kelvin Herrera, both have closing experience. They're going to want to get them exposure to try to trade them potentially. I think Cordero, if he does, would be maybe a next year thing, not so much this year. But who knows? Anything's possible. Do you have anything to say on this one? No, yeah, I'm not super familiar with uh, with Cordero. It looks like he pitched last year. Uh, he was decent from an ERA perspective, but not a ton of Ks, despite a high uh, swinging strike percentage. K-minus walk rate wasn't anything special. So, I mean, the thing about closers is I, I criticize some closers like Archie Bradley or Brad Hand, but the fact of the matter is, is they could be perfectly fine. You know, it's just, it's so hard to know um, what, you know, uh, how good somebody's going to be. From what I'm looking at, Cordero, he does not seem like a guy um, who would be closer material. And I agree with you, like, while I don't like Aaron Bummer, I do think the fact that he's reined in with that contract, um, you know, that, that eliminates the financial disincentives to have him. Uh, pitch. And so I'm not really super interested in Cordero. I mean, he doesn't really strike guys out. Uh, 21.2% K rate last year. Uh, Steamer hasn't projected at 22.1%, so below league average. So not really interested, but I could be totally wrong on it. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Not a big K guy. You want your closers to more often than not strike guys out. Uh, Eric Samolsky, rotoballer.com. Which clear closers? do you believe are on the shakiest ground and tell me why it's Brad hand? Well, quickly I'll say if it's like a committee situation, I don't know if that clarifies uh, sketchy. So non-committee, I think Wade Davis is on the shakiest ground to me. Scott Oberg is there. Um, what's your thoughts on that? Is it Brad hand or is it someone else? Brad hand and Archie Bradley, baby. Yep. That's I mean, your I don't boys. know if they're on the shakiest ground because I think they'll actually have, you know, opportunities, right? Like I don't think they're going to get taken out if they blow a couple saves in a row, but I just don't think they're that good. Um, and so I do expect them to lose the jobs eventually. But again, like your guess is as good as mine. Uh, Matt Lehe, Lehe underscore M82. I apologize if I said that wrong. Uh, what's your read on the Cardinals closer situation? Gallegos seems to be the favorite at the moment, but what is your level of confidence? I like Gallegos a lot. I, I, I'm, I would say he's like 75 to 80% locked in there. You never know when you think it change. But uh, if they let him have the shot, I, I, I like drafting him and running with it. But anything can happen. What's your take on St. Louis? Yeah, I mean, I think we talked about it a little bit beforehand. I just think, you know, whenever there's a closer by committee or we're not really sure, I think the best bet is to grab both guys. Um, if you can't grab both guys, I like to grab the cheaper guy. 
Um, but I mean, Gallegos was really good last year, but again, he doesn't have any track record beyond that um, to be really good. And so whether he can continue what he started last year, um, I don't know, but he seems like he's got from all the news that he's probably got the best inside track on it. But again, like, I, I don't know if I want to, I don't know if I want to put a, a top 200 pick in on it. Yeah, it, it's a tough one there. Uh, that's that lean at lean that had the same question. So we nailed that for the two of them. Uh, we move on to HJS56 or at HJS561. How many closers do you target in each draft? I've been trying to get two to three in between picks 150 and 200. Then a later guy like Daniel Hudson or Trinan. Do you think that is a good strategy or should I be going after a top guy like Hayter, Yates, or Osuna? What is your strategy on closers, Toby? Uh, generally, I want to have two in a 15-team league. I want to have two solid closers or like two guys that appear to have the job. And then I want to have... Um, and then I want to have like one or two speculative guys coming out of the draft who I think might get a chance or like a Wade Davis type, right. Who, who may be on thin ice, who may not be that good, but should have access to saves early on in the season. Um, so that's kind of what I do in 15 team leagues In 12 team leagues. I want to have three pretty solid closers. Um, and then, you know, speculate on, on a bunch of guys. It doesn't necessarily have to be three, but definitely two, uh, solid closers in, in, in a 12 teamer because, you know, the difference between those two formats in terms of the saves that you need to be, um, to be successful or to be like in the, in the percentiles that you need, I can actually bring this up right now as my spreadsheet loads very slowly right now. Um, I can't remember exactly what it is, but I want to say it's in the eighties is the number of saves you need to be 80th percentile in a 12 team league and in a in in a uh 15 team league you're talking about needing like low to mid 70s so it's a it's a 10 team uh, it's a 10 10 save difference okay here we go so i've got it in front of me now so uh 90th percentile in saves uh last year was 81 saves uh, for um, for the main event, so a 15-team, 73 was 80th percentile, and 67 was 70th percentile. So essentially, like with the 70th percentile, that's essentially two closers, full-time closers for the whole year. You know, 80 is like between two and three. Um, but then when you go to an OC, which is a 12-team league, um, it is uh, 82 is, is 80th percentile. So I don't have 70th percentile for that, but like 80th percentile is the same as 90th percentile um, in a 15 team league. So there is a pretty dip, big difference there um, between the number of saves that you need in the 12 and a 15 team league. Yeah. When I'm looking at closers and drafts, I want at least one really good one, if not two pretty darn good ones in 15 and 12s. And then I like to leave with at least one or two other pretty good. Like it's one, a lot of Ian Kennedy, Joe Jimenez, stuff like that, take some chances on Alvarado's and, Hudson's late in the draft. Uh, I'd like to have two really good ones and maybe one or two, you know, middle of the pack to speculative ones later on to kind of play the games through there is where I'm leaning most of the time. All right. And, uh, and we didn't get a chance to really talk about Kennedy, but he is a guy that I like a lot as well. Fast of all, Velo was up uh, last year as he moved to the bullpen and it increased as the year progressed. And he was pretty good. And I think he's got a really strong um, hold on that job. 
And I also think there's some good speculative guys, like in terms of Trevor Rosenthal, who's worked with Matheny before, so that if Kennedy does get traded, I think there's a pretty, uh, if, if Rosenthal can be the guy closer to the guy he was in St. Louis compared to the last couple of years when he's been God awful, uh, I think that could be like a pretty, um, pretty straightforward who's got the job after Kennedy gets traded type of deal. Cody McDonald, that co-Mac-do regular listener of the show, asks this, and this is more your direction, Toby. How does closer scarcity compare to catcher scarcity in your valuations? Who is your relief pitcher, Real Muto? My relief pitcher, Real Muto. Uh, there is no uh, Real Muto in the relief pitcher rankings. Hansel There's no such thing anywhere else. <laughs> anywhere else. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing is there's not really scarcity. I mean, there is scarcity in the sense that that – uh, it's hard to get closers that get as many saves as in past years, but at the same time, you know, the volume of saves overall um, that you need to be competitive has decreased as well. And I think there's enough guys that currently have access to draw jobs in a pretty straightforward way. I just think there's, there's a lot of variance. So it's like JT Real Muto, he could get injured and he's gone, right? Uh, but he's not going to lose that job. He's not going to lose plate appearances um, because he's not very good, because even JT Realmuto being not very good is better than the vast majority of catchers and is by far the best catcher on the Philadelphia Phillies. So, um, you know, and so, and there's, and, and you don't really know with saves, right? Like I could, I could make a pretty reasonable bet, bet that JT Realmuto is going to finish the year with, as the catcher with the most runs. Like I feel pretty confident in that. Um, but like with saves, like, you know, who knows who's going to end up every year. It's a new guy that has the most saves. And so there's just a lot of variance in performance and who gets saves. And so um, I don't see them being similar. And I, I treat closers, not necessarily like a lot of people treat catchers in terms of fading them pretty hard, but I, I generally do not go after the top end of closers just because like you have to make decisions in drafts. And so if I'm going to target a lot, uh, you know, more starting pitchers early on in my draft, if I'm going to spend more early draft capital on starting pitchers, then I'm going to need up need to make up for the hitters, you know, in the middle of that draft. And the only way to do that really is to decide to wait on more pitchers and to wait on more closers, right? You can always vary it up a little bit based on what the value is on the board, but that's kind of the decision that I make is to prioritize starting pitching and hitting and to fade closers because I think you can get a lot of value late because guys can get a lot of saves who you get very late in drafts. Yeah, no, there's there's guys that uh, can get you the saves, especially 25 to 35 saves, where you can kind of wait and play the game a little more, and it does hinder your your other parts of your drafts if you go early. So I'm usually not a fan of that either. And then he wants to know, soft cookie challenge on Melanson versus Smith. I think Toby conceded Melanson is the better guy to have, but I'm just saying. Uh, so I, I believe I responded to Cody and said that soft cookies are just better than both Melanson and Smith, even if you put that them is correct. So soft cookies are the victory there. Fresh baked yes. soft cookies. Fresh baked, yes. No doubt that. Uh, Nathan Coleman at Jayhawkchalk underscore who listens to the show frequently. I'm feeling unusually, unusually prepared for my upcoming AL only draft thanks to this pod. In a holds, holds are worth 0. 0.4 of a save plus saves category. Who are some AL relievers that are dual threats for holds and closer handcuffs? Example, bummer. 
Yeah, Bummer is, a I think, going to get a lot of spots there. I think the Tampa Bay situation, Anderson, Castillo, Alvarado, that mess could lead to some pretty good things. You always have like Ottavino and Britain with the Yankees. They're going to be very good. Um, you'll see some interest instances in Minnesota, I think, could be in play for you with May and Romo. Uh, you mentioned Karinchek of Cleveland. I think he's phenomenal. That's a really good one. And then um, – like Matt Barnes, I think will get more than people think uh, in in uh, Boston. Every team's gonna have one or two good holds, guys. But I think the best one for you to target is Tampa Bay. But uh, any thoughts on that situation? Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. I'd say like that whole Tampa Bay bullpen is just in very very skilled. So I would target them. I also think the Padres bullpen is pretty good. I mean, you have Emilio Pagan over there. What I would do is just go to Fangraphs, uh, go to the leaderboard from last year. Uh, click on the advanced tab and sort by K minus walk rate. And I think that'll give you a good indication. So I have Emilio Pagan here, Will Smith, since he's on the Braves, like he will lose less value, you know, in that type that particular situation. Ryan Presley with the Astros is tremendous. Tyler Duffy with the Twins is also very good. Seth Lugo with the Mets is great. Tommy Canely in uh, New York is awesome. So is Chad Green, Colin Posh. Uh, Luke Jackson with the Braves. You mentioned Matt Barnes, uh, Oliver Drake. There's just a ton of guys. So just go through there and pick out the guys who jump out right there. But that's a list of like 10 of them, uh, I think, who are don't currently have access to saves but should be in high leverage situations in the bullpen who are really, really good. And the last but not least from last week, Clint at pack underscore rules with a Z1978. Who are the best sparps for head-to-head leagues, especially late round ones? There's there's a couple things we talked about before the show. A lot of it's like website dependent. Like I pulled X, I looked at uh, relief pitchers that may qualify as starters. It varies from thing to thing on how that works. Um, the other question is, are you looking for starting pitcher? Are guys qualified as starters that actually work as relievers now, not relievers that work as starters? So I believe you're looking at for starters as relief pitchers. So guys like uh, scrolling down some more, like Justin Dunn of Seattle has looked really good. Probably not going to start for them. He's pitched great this spring. Could come out of the bullpen. He could be interesting. Uh, Wilmer Font, I know we talked about it a lot last year. He opened for Toronto. I picked him up in TGFBI and ran him out there because big-time strikeout stuff. He can be an interesting move for you there. Other than that, like I, I really need to see more of what you have to offer. Like Colin McHugh is eventually going to start for Boston, but he's got relief pitcher eligibility. He can be an interesting one. Michael Lorenzen, you mentioned him. He, he's going to have a little bit of everything. He could be fun. It, it's all dependent. If you wanted to send me a list of options you have, I'll tell you yay or nay, but uh, those are the ones that stand out to me. Anything stand out to you, Toby? It's a really loose question. Yeah, I mean, I used to be in a league that was like this, and I actually think that a lot of times people are looking for starting or relief pitchers who qualify as starting pitchers to help their ratios and stuff like that. But I don't have any leagues that are currently like that, so it's really hard for me to see who is both starting pitcher and relief pitcher eligible. Um, one guy, like at least in fan tracks, who is starting pitching eligible, eligible but is a very good uh, relief pitcher is Robert Stevenson. Uh, of the uh, Reds. I don't know if that's the case in other platforms, uh, but that's the one just reviewing this very quickly who kind of stands out to me. Uh, you could also take a look at like the Dodgers bullpen, you know, 
Ross Stripling being an example, Tony Gonsolin, guys like that. Um, but yeah, I just don't have enough info in terms of like the league and who's eligible at starting pitcher or relief pitcher to really be super helpful on the question. All right. All right. All right. That'll wrap us up for our relief pitching preview. It was a doozy, Toby. Any final thoughts on the position? No, I mean, I think, uh, like I mentioned it before, I've mentioned it on other podcasts. I think my you have a lot of decisions to make in your draft about where you invest draft capital. I tend to not invest draft capital in closing pitchers early on and wait till later. It's better to get, you know, better chances of getting a return on your investment. Um, and there's just so many good hitters and pitchers earlier on in drafts to go after. But, um, you know, so depending on that, depending on your comfort level with fab and fabbing relievers as the season progresses, you know, just figure out what your strategy is before you go into that draft, have those targets ready, um, and, and recognize that each draft is going to be very different, you know, wildly different even in the way that relief pitchers go and the way that they're valued and when that run happens. And so just be, be prepared to kind of change your plans a little bit to make sure that you get the guys that you want. Yeah, there's lots of ways to go about it. Like you said, some people love to play the fab game because they will show up. Like I said, I, I I have to go find the black book, but I wrote it down in there. It was 40-plus guys got saves last year, like five or more saves. Like There's a lot of guys getting, getting opportunities last year. Uh, there's not as many 40-plus guys like there used to be. It's a lot of like mid-30s to like 25 range. So the, the pack of closers is really kind of getting closer together. It's just more consistency ratio based strikeout type guys what are you looking for with your relief pitcher situation that tells you when you want to go take guys that'll dictate how you want your team to look and you can play the game and go late you can go early so many ways to do it know the player pool make it happen so uh it's an interesting position a lot better than some of the other ones we a lot better than catchers that's for sure there's a lot more to uh, use at this position but uh previews are done we'll have much much more for you guys as we've got a couple more weeks till the regular season gets going you check out Toby on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. I am at BDentric. And this was Bubba and the Batflip episode 28, your relief pitching preview. Catch you guys later. <laughs>